This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. Celtics, a game number two in Beantown. Big one for Boston, given the fact that they dropped game one on their home floor. Want to even that series. Boy, if Miami could get that second one, they'll be smooth sailing going back to South Beach for games three and four. But going to be a tough one. You expect the Celtics to respond as they tend to do, at least this group, over the last couple of seasons. We got Julian. We got Chantel. They're along for the ride producing the program this evening. And if you want to get me on Twitter, feel free to do so at Dan Grasa, G-R-A-C-A. I sound maybe a little bit worse than I feel, like, you know, just going through the seasonal stuff. You know, nothing too serious, but it, it, it doesn't probably sound that great, but I feel fine feel tremendous but stupid weather you know it's like 85 degrees one day and then you wake up the next morning and it's like in the 40s you know and probably that did some damage to me like several other people but whatever we're here we're fighting we're battling we'll get through it here and give you what you need to know sending it off into the weekend remember we got our full saturday show tomorrow we're back with you 9 a.m to noon after having some other things to do last saturday so a lot of grasa this week here on 98.7, and now that the Knicks and the Rangers season is over, you can expect plenty of that here moving forward. Both baseball teams in action tonight. Yanks off and running already in Cincinnati. And what else is new? Stop me if you've heard this one before. Aaron Judge hits a first-inning home run. Judge is unconscious right now. Doesn't matter which way his eyes are looking. He's hitting the ball out of the yard. The yard can't contain whatever judge puts on that baseball. And the Yankees are the ones who are benefiting from this. I was really impressed by what they did up in Toronto, taking three out of four games, getting into the war of words and everything, and then handling their business on the field. That's what you would expect from a team like the New York Yankees here. And they're rounding into form a little bit as we get to late May and then on into June in these summer months. So we'll keep you posted. Clark Schmidt on the hill tonight. He's got a run to work with here. We'll see how he fares. Has to pitch better than he did last time out against the, uh, the Tampa Bay Rays when he got tattooed down in the Bronx. Mets, on the other hand, they're going to start a weekend series tonight against the Cleveland Guardians. Carlos Carrasco back on the hill after spending some time on the injured list due to that uh, creaky elbow. He's facing his former mates here. We'll see how he fares. And look, any starting pitching contribution that the Mets want to receive from anybody at this point, I think will be much welcomed and very well received. And that's what you hope you get from Carrasco. He, of course, one of the pieces of that trade that the two teams made a couple of years ago with Francisco Lindor being the big chip and then a couple of young prospects going over to the Cleveland side, Jimenez, Rosario, and a couple of minor leaguers there and. You know, we'll revisit that moving forward here as we get through the program because, you know, the fact that these teams meet up again two years after the trade, I think it's worthy to kind of maybe take stock as to how things have unfolded. You know, is there an early winner? Has one team benefited more so than the other? But when you look at the Mets in particular as a whole, you know, this is a series that they need to go out there and kind of build off of what they did the last few days against the Tampa Bay Rays. They had the dramatic walk-off victory on Wednesday coming from behind. Best win they've had all season long. No other way around it. So you did that against the best team in baseball, but now you want to see them continue on this stretch against the Cleveland team, which, got to be honest with you, really is kind of in the same waters that the Mets are at this point. You know, Cleveland got off to a nice start, jumped out on top of the division, and then they hit a little bit of a rut, just like the Mets did. Remember, Mets started 14-7, and and it's been not as impressive since. So both of these teams are in similar waters trying to get their season back on track as we get into June. And look, the Guardians are a team that is not going to hit the ball out of the ballpark. They don't hit a lot of home runs. 
when they get good pitching, that is what fuels them. They have a couple of guys who were down on the shelf that they haven't gotten anything from this year, so they've had to dip into the minor leagues, and it always seems like that organization is producing quality pitching. And that's what they're doing again here this year. The Logan Allens of the world have given them a nice little boost. Tonight they get Cal Quantrill going up against them. Quantrill's a good pitcher, but it's a good thing you're getting them at City Field. Quantrill is damn near almost unbeatable at home. I mean, he's got a ridiculous home record the last couple of years. So maybe the Mets could take advantage with him uh, pitching away from home. And the Mets are going to have a little bit of a different look tonight when you look at this club and you look and see who's on the roster And it's a familiar face, and it's Gary Sanchez. And you kind of joke to yourself and say, well, wait a second. How is Gary Sanchez on this team? Why is Gary Sanchez on this team? Well, because the Mets took a flyer on him after he was sent packing. And the Mets said, you know what? Low risk, high reward potentially. Let's see what this guy can do for us. Now, he's not in the starting lineup tonight, but Sanchez was a guy in the week that he spent down in Syracuse in AAA. He was hitting the cover off of the ball. And the Mets said, look, we got injuries at the catching position, right? Narvaez is going to still be out in a little while longer. Nitto is on the injured list. They need some guys helping out down there with Francisco Alvarez. And Sanchez had a issue in his contract to where, you know, he signed and the Mets could either bring him up or they would have to release him so he could pursue other major league opportunities. The Mets decided to bring him up and they'll see if they can get some contribution from him. You know, maybe... Maybe, just maybe, and look, I'm keeping my hopes at a minimum. You have to, right? Because if he was still really good, he'd still be a member of the Minnesota Twins when the Yankees traded him there. But, or the San Francisco Giants would have even kept him around longer after he hooked on with them. If Gary Sanchez turns out to be like half of what Matt Carpenter was last year for the New York Yankees, you look at that as a bonus, right? You take that as an advantage, And not saying you get your hopes up and expect it to happen, but in these type of situations, that's why these clubs just take these low-risk flyers on guys who have a little bit of a history, you know, have proven that they can play in this league, and that's what you want to tap into here, and the Mets are no different when it comes to Gary Sanchez. But, you know, we'll see what happens. You know, again, expectations at a minimum, not getting them too high here, and you hope that, it's not a, a scenario where the Mets have to you know, send them packing that it's so bad in the opportunities that they give them. Now, as far as the trade is concerned, that trade was made in January of 2021. You know, so we're about two and a half years after the fact. And look, it got a lot of hype at the time. It was really Steve Cohen's first big splashy move as the owner of this club. You know, and it was the worst-kept secret in baseball that Francisco Lindor was going to be traded. Cleveland was not going to be able to meet his contract demands. They couldn't afford him. So Mets wanted to take advantage. And they get Lindor, they get Carrasco, and the Mets send Ahmed Rosario, Andres Jimenez, and a couple of minor leaguers over to Cleveland. And when you look at the trade since, I think it's fair to say that the Mets have had one good year, one bad year. Right, 21 left a lot to be desired. Last year was a good season. Went over 100 games, you make the playoffs. October didn't work out the way you wanted it to, but it still, by and large, was a good year. And I think you say the same thing about Francisco Lindor specifically, right? His first season was one to forget. There was a lot going on with him, you know, the stuff with McNeil, the fight in the, in the, uh, the dugout. You had the situation with Javi Baez and the thumbs down. So, and his performance didn't really wow you too much either. You could tell that he was fighting it a little bit, maybe even trying too hard to make a big impression. 
you know, being the big splash in the trade, signing that big fancy contract extension, all those things. But, you know, it's been a mixed bag, I would say, for Lindor so far since coming over to the Mets. And even this year, you know, he's not hitting for much average, but he's driven a lot of runs. And he plays a good shortstop when it comes to his glove. You still got him under contract, though, for a really, really long time. And, and, and that's my only negative to this whole thing, right? I got no issue with the trade. I got no issue with taking a flyer, trying to bring in a guy who was, you know, once upon a time an MVP caliber player, somebody who was really, really good. I just hate giving out those big contracts to guys, especially one where it's a decade in length, right? $341 million. Because what ended up happening? One of the reasons why Lindor wanted to get all that money is because he knew that you had those other guys, whether it was the Corey Seegers, the Trevor Stories, the Carlos Correas, uh, you know, Trey Turners down the road who were going to be free agents, and he wanted to make sure that he set the market, that nobody was going to be able to eclipse him in terms of earning. Mets took the bait, Steve Cohen, a rich owner, and that would be the only buyer's remorse I would have because it's one thing to acquire a player like Lindor. You go at it for a couple of years, and then if you can't get something done, so be it. But think about what those $341 million could have done for you. You could have put that 341 to satisfying other needs on your club. And let's be honest, if I told you the last couple of years, and if you had to do it all over again, would you rather have somebody like Francisco Lindor? Would you rather have Trey Turner, who could be on this team, for less money? You know, Trey Turner, a guy who won a World Series. Trey Turner, a guy who's really, really a good player, more consistent player. Plus some of these other issues that they're having when it comes to pitching, maybe beef up this offense a little bit more in some other spots. That's just a lot of money that you have tied into one player who, let's be honest, you probably have not gotten the return that you thought you were going to get. Now you think about the guys who have gone the other way. You know, Andres Jimenez, who showed some promise in that COVID season in 2020. You know, he, he looked like he was okay. Maybe could develop into something. Cleveland decided to buy into the upside. He had a real, real big year last year. Finished sixth in the MVP. You know, he was like a six-plus war player on the American League side. And he got him to a $100 million extension, which for Cleveland is considered like breaking the bank. Remember, Jose Ramirez makes only in the hundreds of millions of dollars. And he is an MVP caliber player in his own right. But Jimenez has struggled this year. Rosario has been okay. Right? He's off shortstop. They had him trying to go play center field, which, you know, that happens kind of mixed reviews, if you will. And Rosario is probably going to be gone at the end of the year because he's a free agent at the end of the season. And they're probably not going to be able to keep him based on what he's looking for. So it's kind of like if you assign a winner to the trade two years in, I don't think you can necessarily do that, right? Cleveland made the playoffs last year. They got through a round, and then they got beat by the Yankees in round number two. But since the trade, if you're a big believer in all of these sabermetrics and you know how things are evaluated and whatnot, since the trade was made, Jimenez and Rosario combined for a 15.8 war, wins above replacement, Lindor and Carrasco have combined for 9.9. So if you're using that metric, Cleveland's got the better of the trade. But I don't think the final chapter is written yet for either side. You know, Francisco Lindor is still young enough to where he's got prime ears. You know, you're probably still getting prime Lindor for, I would say, at least to be safe if he stays injury-free another five seasons. But he's got to produce maybe a little bit more than what you're seeing up until this point. I think that goes without saying. So Mets and guards this weekend... 
Bottom line, just go out there and continue what you did against Tampa Bay. Keep winning series. Keep stacking up victories. And the Yankees are taking on Cincinnati tonight, so we'll keep our eye on both of those. 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. Get into some basketball stuff, too, because even though you got Celtics heat tonight on the Eastern Conference side of things, last night another statement made by the Denver Nuggets and these LeBron getting old whispers got a little bit louder with that performance last night, right? You heard him. I know you heard him. Because if you watched him at times, that was really the only thing you could think about with seeing how he went out there and executed, especially down the stretch. We'll talk about what we saw there and also something we mentioned on a couple of occasions this week regarding the 76ers, regarding their future, and potentially an MVP who could become available, who's got ties to a couple of members of this Knicks organization, and people are trying to play connect the dots, and maybe, just maybe, the Knicks search for a big star that they can add to this crop Maybe, though, those dominoes are starting to tumble a little bit more than maybe we thought in regards to how things are playing in Philadelphia with Mr. Embiid. We'll get into all of those things, plus the passing of an all-time legend on the gridiron in Jim Brown. A lot of things that we will discuss over the next hour, leading you right up until Heat Celtics, game number two. 800-919-3776. Dan Gross' show. It is a Friday right here on 9870 ESPN. This is the Dan Show. On 98.7 ESPN. We're, we're, we're nice here, right? We're all one big crew. So that's what we decide to do. We'll do something nice. We'll give you a free gift heading into the weekend. Here's the wisdom I'm going to impart on you people. There's three guarantees in life. There's death, there's taxes, and the Mets falling behind in the first inning. Because Carlos Carrasco, welcome back. And he serves up a three-run blast to Josh Naylor who I know Yankee fans can't stand with the whole rock the baby thing, Garrett Cole, whatever. Uh, but, yeah, Josh Naylor's a good player. Got a flair for the dramatic, got a flair for the long ball, and he's at it early on in Queens tonight. 3 nothing Cleveland. It is amazing. The Mets, just, I, I don't have the statistic in front of me, but the Mets give up. They, they are good to give up a first inning run basically at least every other day. At least. And we're not swinging the bats the way that this team is not doing consistently. And God knows what else this Cleveland lineup's going to be able to do against Carlos Carrasco. I mean, that's it's a tough hole you want to bury yourself in. And like I said, this Cleveland team doesn't even hit home runs. Carrasco's a nice guy. I know he overcame a lot, but, you know, personally, you know, with his, you know, health and everything, and that's great to see. But as far as a pitcher, he does nothing for me. Does nothing for me. And I knew a lot of people that – um work closely with the um, Guardians organization. And when that trade was made, I was talking to them. And everything they said about Carrasco has, has, has proven to be true. It's that the guy just loses faith and loses confidence in his A stuff. Like he's almost afraid to keep going to it, even if it's working. Because he kind of figures, he's like, oh, well, you know what? Eventually they're going to figure it out. Eventually they're going to have the upper hand on me. And then he starts mixing in some of his secondary pitches, and that's when he gets into trouble. Ugh. What can you do? Anyway, 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. Also, I don't know if you got this Yankee game on. Maybe you are, maybe you don't. But the Reds are wearing their City Connect jerseys tonight. I, I think this might be the debut. It's um, all black, top and bottom. And then they have some red trim mixed in. They got like a different kind of a C logo on the hat. So they got a brand new hat as well. I, you know, 
Julian and I were talking about it before the show. Like, the, the City Connect uniforms, they're kind of hit or miss. Some of them I like, some of them I don't like. I thought the Angels one kind of looks really good. That has, like, a classic kind of look to it. Um, as far as the newer ones that have been unveiled this year, the, the Mariners one I'm not opposed to. I, I dig the Mariners hat with, like, that lowercase M and the trident with, like, a black brim. I think that looks kind of cool. But a lot of the other ones, you can just, they can burn them as far as I'm concerned because they're nothing more than just money-making ventures for Nike and Major League Baseball. Lord knows what the Mets and Yankees ones are going to look like whenever they trot those things out in a couple of years. Because you know they will. Nobody can pass up a buck, right? Nobody can pass up an extra dollar to be made, that's for sure. All right, let's get some phone calls up here. 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. Let us say hi to Tommy in Long Island. He's going to be our leadoff hitter tonight on 98.7 ESPN. Tom, how we doing? Just crack me up because I was going to ask you about what do you think about Carrasco's start tonight. Terrible. And you said it. It's the first inning all, all the time. Oh, my God. Terrible, Tom. And let me, tell you, you know, let me tell you something, too, about Carrasco. This is just like a personal aside. Okay. Last year... I want to say I went to a hand, maybe a handful of, of games that I attended, right? right? Maybe, maybe four or five. I can't remember. I guarantee, I, I, I'm almost positive Carlos Carrasco started every single one of those games. Like, I couldn't yeah, escape him. It's a, yeah, it's a, because, you know, you don't buy the, like, plan this in advance. You kind of do it, you know, a couple of days before the game. Hey, you want right. to go? Okay, great, let's go. And then, lo and behold, it was Carrasco's turn of the rotation. So, yeah, got stuck with him. Anyways. And you, and you don't know who's pitching. That happened to me a lot. Yeah. Can't plan it. I never got good in maybe one time out of, like, 100 games to go to. You know? When I was when I was a kid, Tom, you know who I used to get a lot? I always got stuck going when Mordecai Three Finger Brown was pitching. I always got stuck going to his oh? starts. Mordecai oh? Three Finger Brown. You don't remember him? No, I don't. He pitched in the early 19th century. You don't remember him? No, I don't. Oh, I'm kidding, Tom. It's a joke. It's a joke. What's on I your mind? Come you on, Tom. Are. It's Friday. Let's go. What's going on? All right. Let's go. You want to have a beer? Let's have a beer. I'd lo- You know what? I'd love to, but I'm still on the clock, my friend. What do you want to uh, talk about tonight? Th- talk to me. Uh, what do you think about the Miami-Boston game tonight? I think the Celtics win. Celtics bounce back. Celtics were the better team three out of four quarters. I think they learned from their mistake. Um, we saw Miami in the last round against the Knicks. Remember, they took game one. Knicks were the more desperate team in game two on their home floor. They took right. it, even though it was like pulling teeth, but they got it. I think tonight is going to be a monster Jason Tatum game. I will be surprised well, if I'm wrong. Well, Miami gets... Nine and a half points. I took it on DraftKings. I put 20 bucks on it. 20 gets me 39. Big deal. Not, I mean, nine and a half that. is a lot of points. I don't think there's anything wrong I with know. that. But I think the Celtics win. You think so? But you think they cover? Maybe. Maybe? Maybe. You might get a, you might get a back door, but who cares? That's all you – you're worrying about nine and a half. You know, it doesn't well, matter. I didn't want to parlay it because – you know, that under and over, you don't never know anything. No, you never know. Never know. No. It's you been a know. pleasure talking to you. Tom, you know what? The pleasure is all on this side of the phone call. i got to be honest with you. Have yourself a great night. We'll catch up sooner, right? There's our buddy Tommy in Long Island. He's betting on Eastern Conference Finals games. He can't stand watching Carlos Carrasco pitch. You know, these are first-world problems, everybody. You know, that's the world that we live in right now. Uh, let us say hi 
to Nelson in Long Island, who is up next here on 98.7. Nelson, good evening. How the How's heck are you? How's it going, buddy? What's up, Nell? How's it going, buddy? It's always a pleasure. Enjoying the evening as it's coming. Hopefully it's a great weekend. Absolutely. Two things I want to pretty much just touch up and address. Uh, mm-hmm. One with the Knicks. First thing, I say focus on the centerpiece. On the centerpiece, you can trade Julius Randle, Emmanuel Quickly, and some draft picks for an Embiid or a Giannis. But then they got to focus on the pretty much on the cornerstones. Cornerstones, you got Brunson, you got RJ. I think add Seth Curry, it helps. Put Grimes off the bench, bring in Curry. And in regards to the Yankees, did you say wait 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 wait, wait time out. did you know, say did you say Steph or Seth Curry? Seth Seth Seth. Okay. I think um, Seth Curry will open. Well, he would open up horizons that season. I they, look. They need shooting. I don't disagree with you. That would not be a bad alternative. But you need more than that. I, I didn't you hear you. What? That. You need more than that. You have pieces. The, the team has pieces. So it's not like we need more than that. We just got we need a centerpiece and then we gotta support the centerpiece. We gotta give foundation to what we're you gonna gotta put. get the you gotta go get that number one, Nelson. You gotta get the number I one and if you wanna surround them with shooting, let's do it. Let me let let's get to the Philadelphia point though. And Nell, thanks for the phone call. I appreciate you. You know, you uh, you, you, you kinda gave me my little segue here. You left the door open for me, so we're gonna take it. So remember we discussed the whole thing with Philadelphia during the week. And if Doc Rivers was fired, a lot of speculation about what was going to happen with James Harden. And furthermore, if James Harden was a free agent and he's going to opt out of his contract, so he's going to be gone. If he doesn't re-sign in Philadelphia, Joel Embiid might look at it and say, you know what? I don't want to be part of a team that's rebuilding, that you lost the other best player, the other all-star we have on the team. Get me out of here. You know, now I'm an MVP. I want to win. I haven't been to a conference finals yet because, you know what, look, guys do that in the NBA nowadays. You know, stars demand to be traded. So there was kind of this, you know, worst-kept secret all year that James Harden might go back to, to Houston. And now there's reports out of the Philadelphia Inquirer today that down in Houston, it literally is like the worst-kept secret. That they are going to go hot and heavy on Harden. He still has a home there. A lot of his family still lives there. There was even reports that the coaching candidates that Houston was interviewing, and they ultimately settled on Ime Adoka. During the interviews, they asked him, how would you mind coaching James Harden? You have a plan for James Harden? Would you want to coach James Harden? So that was kind of like part of the discussions. So at this point, it would almost be an upset if Harden is not a rocket again, and therefore it's open season on Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid's former agent was Leon Rose. Leon Rose is here. Joel Embiid has a great relationship with World Wide West. The whole CAA thing, right? He's spoken publicly, glowingly. He said that Leon Rose to him is like family, right? It worked out well last summer getting Jalen Brunson here, even though Jalen Brunson was a free agent. But all those pieces and all those chips that you didn't want to give the Utah Jazz for Donovan Mitchell last year, get it. But now you have that opportunity, potentially, to bring in an MVP. And if that presents itself, if you're the Knicks, you have to do it. You have to do it. Okay? You can't just run this same team back again next year and expect for better results. It's not going to happen. Okay? You bring the same team back, you're maybe winning a round. That's it. That's where you peak. You have to go out there and get a dude. Just like they explored doing it last year with Donovan Mitchell, but it never happened. 
But if Embiid comes to fruition and becomes something that's somewhat reasonable, you have to act on it if you're the Knicks. You have to. Think about how they got outmuscled in that Miami series, apart from the fact that they couldn't make shots. But you saw what Bam Adebayo did to Mitchell Robinson, to Isaiah Hartenstein. It was like night and day compared to week to, to, to round one, right? And Bede is a guy who is not your prototypical center, as we know, loves to step out, can shoot the three, could give you some outside presence. Then you go out there and sign a couple of shooters in free agency to beef up that component of your team. Then you got something cooking. That's how this offseason has to unfold for this team, if you're asking me. 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. More of your calls when we return. Grasso Show, till 8.30. Then it's game two, Heat Celtics, right here on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. We live in, or we just got done experiencing the whole Tom Brady phenomenon for the last 20 years you know and I'm old enough to have seen Jerry Rice's entire career but I'm also a big proponent of history respecting the game and you know I consider myself a student of the game if you will when everybody talks about the goat the goat the greatest the this the that I it's hard for me to consider anybody the goat outside of Jim Brown I vote that that's always been my stock answer who's the greatest football player of all time been a lot of great ones you know, and those three guys, you know, the Bradys, the Rices, Jim Brown, they're on the Mount Rushmore, you know, and probably LT because you got to have a defensive player in there. To me, LT is the greatest defensive player of all time. But Jim Brown, I, it, it's hard for anybody to be a better football player than Jim Brown, okay? You know, Jim Brown didn't play till he was, you know, hang around and play till he was 45 or whatever like Tom Brady. He retired at the peak of his game, you know, when he was 30. He called it quits. But for the time that he spent as an NFL running back, forget about only, you know, just the running back position. Tell me anybody who has left a mark on this game consistently excellent from the time that they were an active player and who did it better than Jim Brown. I mean, the guy played nine years. He won the rushing title eight of those nine years. He was an eight-time first-team All-Pro eight of the nine years. And not only that, I mean, he won the rushing title his last year in the league. I think he had over 600 yards more than the next guy, who, if I'm not mistaken, might have been Gale Sayers, who was also pretty damn good, another legend whose career was cut short because of injuries. Hall of Famer, right? The only guy to ever average 100 yards a game on the ground. And remember, Jim Brown played in an era where the running back was the guy on a football team. It wasn't a quarterback. It was the running back. They ran the ball, ran the ball, ran the ball. So you had 11 guys on the opposing defense essentially all keying on you, knowing where the ball was going, who was getting it. So you had 22 sets of – or 22 – you know, eyeballs trying to stop you. And yet he still went out there and ran roughshod over everybody. His resume is unparalleled for the time that he played in this. He never missed the game in his entire career. 
And he was a hell of an athlete, too. It wasn't just football. He was one of the great lacrosse players of all time. Went to Syracuse. You know, formative years in Long Island. Moved up from the south. And so settled on Long Island with his mom. Went to Syracuse. Four-star athlete. Tremendous. Tremendous. What he accomplished in this game. The only non-quarterback to be a three-time MVP in the history of the National Football League. Throw the accolades. I mean, the game speaks for itself. Now, was he perfect? No, of course not. You know, had problems later in life off the field. Relationships with women. That, that obviously, you don't condone that at all. But if you're just talking about football and his accomplishments all on the field, it's hard for me to sit here and entertain an idea that somebody was better than him. You know, so many greats, so many all-timers. But to me, you know, he's as good as it gets, really and truly. And I remember they showed him at the, um, I guess the last time I saw him publicly was um, at the NFL Awards show, the NFL Honors thing, which was, what, in February, right before the Super Bowl? And he looked... You know, he looked his age, you know, as, as people do when they get older. But, you know, he just seemed a little slow, like, whenever they were showing him. And I remember the the last time I saw him do an interview, like, a year or so ago, he would just, you know, wasn't as vibrant as, you know, used to seeing him, even in his later years, though. So, one hell of a player, iconic, when you talk about football and Jim Brown and, and, and what he means to the sport. 800-919-3776 is the number. Arthur in Long Island. Up next, here on 98.7 ESPN. Art, how you doing? Hi. Good. Hi. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Been on for a while. So let's just say that uh, Jim Brown is maybe the modern-day Jim Thorpe. I don't know what his fourth sport was, but was he on the hardwood at all? But basketball, basketball, lacrosse, he'd... track, and football. <laughs> right. So he's a, he's a New York sports legend. Mm-hmm. I go back. I remember him uh, dragging Sam Huff an extra three or four yards after they made contact. They were rivals. They were rivals. You know, Huff being the linebacker, Brown being the running back. You know, those old Giants-Cleveland matchups back in the NFL days? Absolutely. 5.2 yards per carry. Insane. You gave the ball three times, you got a first down. Insane. And like I said, in an era, Arthur, right, in an era, and that's important. That's why when a lot of the, you know, that, it, it's one of the things that, that, that drives me crazy about how, you know, younger fans now, when they come to appreciate the sport, in this case football, when they just look at statistics and get wowed, and you see all these stupid numbers that the TV channels, you know, they flash up there about what these modern-day quarterbacks are throwing for, and they're setting all Three these records. Three yards yeah. cloud of dust. Exactly, Forget because now it. all they do is throw the football. It's a pass-happy <clears throat> league. Back in the day, they never threw the ball to the extent that they do now. That's why, of course, they're surpassing all the passing statistics and that type of stuff. But... It, it, you know, for relative from for his era, I mean, he was he was he had no equals, no equals. Never. Do you None. like my analogy to Jim Thorpe? Yeah, I, I mean, look now, Jim Thorpe goes back even further, so we don't want to get into you know the yeah, archives. That's, that's, that's hundred years ago, okay? Yeah, that's a hundred years ago. But I mean, look, you, you're on par, and Arthur. Thanks for the phone call. I appreciate it. You know, I always said in my lifetime. 
because I never saw Jim, Jim Brown play, of course. My lifetime, the best running back I ever saw was Barry Sanders. To me. Um, but, of course, Emmett Smith was great. But Emmett Smith, of course, you know, had a much better offense around him than Barry Sanders did. You know, as contemporaries, the two of them. Um, Walter Payton was exceptional. You know, he, he came before those two guys, you know, 70s into the 80s. And Walter, think about it. Walter Payton played on horrible Bears teams. Horrible Chicago Bears teams. Until they finally started to turn things around there in the 80s. And, of course, it culminated with the Super Bowl championship in 85 and that legendary team. But, I mean, for, for the better part of his career, he, was, he, he played on miserable teams. Uh, let's say hi to Spike in St. Peter who is up next here on 98.7. Spike, good evening. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm sad about Jim Brown. I'm reflecting as I just, I'll be turning 77 soon. I saw a lot of Jim Brown games. Uh, mm-hmm. My life's been, uh, my, my, my life, I've, I've, I've spent time with Jackie Robinson, went to high school with Lou Alcindor, Kareem, uh, met Bill Russell and, and watched Jim Brown and met Jim Brown. I mean, I'll trade that in. I'd like the years back. I'd like to be your age and have. You're like, uh, you know what you are. You're like far. You're like Forrest Gump for crying out loud. Yeah, well, I'll tell you. I took something out of each one of them, and I was fortunate enough um, to to watch greatness. There's no equal to Jim Brown, and I am. You know me. I am not the old guy on the lawn. Right. Uh, and, that, and I've been told recently, you know, I got going through some stuff. I've been told recently I'm very vibrant for my age, and my memory's still intact. Body's dying, but that's what happens when you get older. But I remember going to Yankee Stadium and watching Jim Brown. And uh, one of the other fellows called Crowded Dust, Five Yards. Danny, he, he, he dragged other guys' asses. He, he dragged four or five guys an extra two or three yards. He played dead. He laid there, you can look at the old films, he laid there like he was dead and then got up and then 12 yards, 9 yards, 10 yards. His average was in the fives. He played 12-game seasons and talk about rules, you know, poke it in the eye. I think the first crossbar came on the helmet. It was one bar, one little bar across the through the cage game and the plastic game. The greatest I ever saw. As Bill Russell was, and I've told him that, and he laughed at me with my Nick jacket on with that cackle. He had that great laugh. Yep. You know, you must hate me. I said, no, nah, I can't hate you. I respect you. You'll never be equal. Winners. I'm talking about winners. And and, and Jackie Robinson stands all by himself to me as, as a hero. But Everyone had something in common because they were all civil rights leaders, and I grew up through that uh, era and did the best I could, and it was rough times, but we learned a lot. So so let me get off of that, pay my respects to the greatest running backs, and I do agree with you. I'm not sure if you said it, so I, uh, I stand corrected, but Gail Sayers was right behind him. His career was cut short, totally different. One mm-hmm. was a beautiful, graceful runner, and the other was a jackhammer going straight up the middle. But Jim Brown did a lot of things in his life, and, like, we're all flawed. But uh, as a football player and seeing him live and then watching what I see now, these guys would come back if they could go into the Michael J. Fox, you know, machine. Yep. And come back. They'd laugh at the way the game's played now. Well, and, and that's laugh. why and- – and, 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 Spike, that's why, and I thank you for the phone call. i got to get a break in here. But that's why you, you, you have to I, – I, the one wish I have is that some of these younger fans is that they would do some homework once in a while before they're so quick to anoint something that happened five minutes ago, the greatest they've ever seen. You know? 
really, really and truly. Like, make it respective to each era. And think about what guys used to do once upon a time. Because just because it happened when you saw it doesn't mean it's the greatest thing you ever saw. The movie that you went to go see last week is not the greatest movie of all time. Okay, the meal that you had at that restaurant last weekend is not the greatest meal you've ever had in your life. Broaden your mind a little bit. It'll do wonders. 800-919-3776, that is the telephone number. Some developments in Cincinnati with the Yankees just gotten a little interesting. We'll talk about that, plus we'll get into what we saw last night with the Nuggets and the Lakers. And is LeBron old? I mean, like, we know he's old on the birth certificate, but now in basketball terms, is he old? We go to late 30, then it's game two. Heat Celtics right here on 9870 ESPN. The old- Toss it up to Boston. Celtics Heat game number two of the Eastern Conference Finals. I mentioned some stuff going on in Cincinnati where the Yankees and the Reds are actually flying by, as a matter of fact. They're in the bottom of the fifth inning. Yanks have that one nothing lead. Judge had the leadoff homer in the first inning. But I guess it was after the fourth inning when Clark Schmidt came off the field. You know, he was getting the check by the umpires for stuff, you know, the foreign substance, which is, you know, the thing to do now. And it, it just was taking forever. And I guess they made him go change his glove or wash his hands. or I, I don't know if he had to change the glove. Maybe it was a hand wash thing. It's tough watching these games without volume, of course. But it, it was an extended delay in between the innings. And so I guess David Bell, who's the Reds manager, came out and was kind of getting annoyed. As to, All right, what the heck is going on? Kind of almost what happened in the game with Domingo Herman against the Minnesota Twins back at Yankee Stadium a little while ago. Because remember, it's like the ump sat there, dragged this whole thing out, and were telling Herman that he had to go wash his hands and he had to do all this other stuff, and it was really taking long. And so Rocco Baldelli, the Twins manager, came out and was basically saying, well, why don't you throw him the hell out of the game if you're telling him that he has to do all these different things? Obviously, he's trying to, to, to kind of bend the system a little bit. He shouldn't still be in the game. Baldelli got run. Same thing with David Bell tonight in Cincinnati. Now, David Bell, for those that don't know, if you go out there in your chart over the last couple of years, manager ejections, I guarantee you that David Bell, probably since he's been the Reds manager, is either like one or two in terms of managers getting ejected. I mean, he gets ejected. He's good for at least one a week, it seems like. And so, of course, you know, he had some things to say. The umps ran him, and he spoke his mind, and, and on we go here with the game. So that's what's happening in Cincinnati, but... I'll tell you, there is that crackdown. It is indeed happening. These umpires are trying to nail some pitchers here. You got Scherzer, you got Herman, and they don't want to stop there. Feels like they get an extra, you know, an extra bonus in their check at the end of the year. If you get a, a pitcher for a foreign substance, it seems like. Uh, let's say hi to Jay in New Jersey up next here on 98.7 ESPN. Jay, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on, man? How you doing today? Jay, we're doing great. What's up? So hoping you put your next GM cap back on and, and we could revisit this Embiid thing. Okay. Uh, and listen, I've been, you know, I've been heartbroken enough by waiting for superstars to come to New York. But um, if that doesn't happen, I got mm-hmm. two questions for you. If that doesn't happen, what do you think about uh, Carl Anthony Towns and Jalen Brown and the Celtics to make it pass on Miami? And two, it seems to be a pretty deep um, shooting guard free agency this year with Harris LeVert out there, Jordan Clarkson, Trent Jr., do any, any of those guys interest you as well? Um, first of all, if you gave me the choice of Jalen Brown or Carl Anthony Towns, I would take Jalen Brown. Because Jalen Brown, and, and 
I know there's some rumblings about what the situation might be in Boston and this and that. On a, on a given day, Jalen Brown, if you watch the Celtics, you almost think he's not far away from being called their best player, right? I mean, like, he, he's he's that good. You know, Jaylen, I'd love to have a Jalen Brown on my team. So that would probably be the idea. As far as somebody like a Gary Trent, I don't think that that would be the worst thing in the world. If you're just trying to surround this group with some shooters, some role players who could be a little bit more dependable from the outside, I'll give you another guy. How about this, Jay? How about the guy who's still playing basketball right now and Nick fans just got sick of seeing him over the last couple of weeks, who I think is a free agent at the end of the year. How about Max Struess? I'll take him. I'll take him. But going back to your Jalen Brown uh, breakdown, I think, one one, as the most underappreciated and underrated player in the league, I think he's number one and number two. I think he'd be a steal if we could get him. I think he's that good. I, I have him that high on my list. I, I, I think he's a tremendous player, and, and, and thanks for the phone call, Jay. I'll tell you this, too. You know, it means a little bit more when you're bringing in a guy from another team who comes from a culture of winning. You want to impart that onto your team because it's one thing that the Knicks have turned the corner now and they seem like, all right, they're on their way. But if you bring more winners into the mix, that to me only accelerates the development and speeds up the curve, don't you think? I, 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 that would be ideal. I'd still put Embiid number one, but if you're going to tell me that Jalen Brown is available, I got no problems with that. I got no problems with that. And you can, but you got you have to get shooters. You have to, especially in this day and age, the way the NBA game is, the reliant on the three point shot. I mean, look at what happened with the Lakers last night. You know, if the Lakers could have just made a couple threes in the fourth quarter while Rome was burning. They might have been able to put out the fire and get out of there with a victory. But they couldn't. We know LeBron couldn't. What is it now, 19, 19 straight three-pointers in the fourth quarter that LeBron has misfired on in the playoffs? Not good. Not good at all. And, look, that was an area that the Knicks needed some shoring up. Once Fournier got buried and he wasn't part of the rotation any longer, it was just like you're, you're, you're looking for somebody dependable. You know, even if they're off the bench to provide that boost, aside from somebody like IQ. All right, good first hour. We're coming back 30 more minutes. More of your calls. We'll get into that Lakers situation from last night as well. Dan Gross' show. Then it's off to Boston for Celtics Heat. Game number two right here on 98.7 ESPN.